grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today. I truly count it just a great honor uh, to be a part of this journey with you and to be led in worship by our worship team. I, I really am so thankful for Pastor Jessica and the entire crew. Can we just thank the Lord for all of the leadership we get in terms of the worship experience here? What a great reminder. And I was thinking about Overlake, and Overlake is this beautiful cross-section of humanity. It really is. It's, it's, it's diverse ethnically. There, there's a diversity in terms of our intergenerationalness, and, and there's this reality, too, that, that folks from sort of the entire spectrum, socioeconomic spectrum, are a part of the family here at Overlake Christian Church. And friends, I want to tell you, that's how it should be, because that's what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is going to be like all tribes and all life situations and all life circumstances come together to worship the Lord for all eternity. And, and so it is a beautiful thing to be a part of, of this uh, Overlake Christian Church family. So I just, I love being on this journey with you. But it also kind of goes into what we're talking about. So if, if you want to look at the top of your outline, you'll see that we're talking about this concept of enough. And we're talking about, if you were here last week, you'll know, or if not, this is a little bit of an insight into what last week was about. It's about a theology of enough. A theology, by the way, which is incredibly countercultural. It is absolutely going against the grain of everything that we hear preached, like from every television set, from every commercial, from, you know, all over the radio, like anywhere you can look on the internet. You're going to read, it's going to be so rare that you hear this theology of enough being preached unless you open the pages of scripture and see what it is that God has for his children. And so just know that no matter where you might count yourself on the wealth spectrum, as it were, you need to know that God is enough for you and that, that God provides enough and, and that this is a theology that he really does want his children to embrace. And, I, and I'm just going to be super honest. If we can get our minds around this, if we can kind of step into the paradigm shift that this provides for us, it will revolutionize our lives. It will. And so if you missed last week, I really want to encourage you to go back and grab it because we talked about contentment. We talked about stewardship. We talked about how Jesus meets us in those places so that we don't live a life that's, that's marked by worry, but rather we have this incredible trust in him and his care. Well, today we're going to talk about three concepts that are absolutely intertwined, and they, again, they're for every one of us. They're for all of us. So the first challenge, the first part of this theology of enough that Jesus invites us into is to step into abundance. That's, that's the first fill-in, if you're filling in the blanks, step into abundance. And I, I say this, and we're going to define what that looks like. Our God is a God of abundance, right? There's a reality of this, that, that God is a God of abundance and he invites us to allow our lives to be in step, in tune with him in this regard. And so I want to use creation as a jumping off place here. If you open up to the book of Genesis, you will see that God's creative hand abundantly populates the world with life and with beauty and with resources, and he creates everything to be abundantly self-proliferating. So I want you to think about one pine tree creates enough pine cones, right, seeds, 
to plant an entire forest. And, and if you have a pine tree in your yard, you know this is true, right? You, you know this is abundantly true, right? The, the proliferation, right, is just over the top. Think about how one sunflower creates enough seeds to populate an entire field of sunflowers. Think about one tomato contains enough seeds produced to plant thousands of tomato plants, each plant yielding hundreds more tomatoes, each with the capacity of planting thousands of more plants, right? This is abundance and, and abundance on abundance. I want you to think about the sun for a moment. The sun delivers more energy to the earth in one hour than humanity uses from all fossil, nuclear, and renewable energy sources in a year. Right? One hour more than is used on the planet in a year. Friends, these are not just pictures of abundance. They're like super abundance, ultra abundance, over the top kind of abundance. And it's not just in creation that we see this. It's in how God interacts with his people. You, you go through the pages of the Old Testament and you see that God provides manna and quail. And, and he provides for his people day after day after day. That out of a dry rock, God provides an abundant source of water. We see Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is the one who transforms water into wine. Jesus takes a few fish and loaves, transforming them into a feast. And so, you know, we think of money as what we need in order to tackle the problems that we face. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who walks on top of the water. Jesus is the one who calms the raging storm. So Jesus is the one who is enough for us, right? He's the one who can abundantly handle our problems. You know, Jesus never had a bank account. Jesus never had a bank account, and yet he lived in abundance and he's God in the flesh, right? And, and, and the reason why he lived in abundance is because this is a God we're talking about who doesn't just create a few stars in the night sky. It's not just a bunch of stars. It's not even just like a million stars. Uh, the Lord creates hundreds of billions of stars and he scatters them across the universe. Most of these stars, by the way, we don't even see with our naked eye. And, and I don't want you to miss that aspect of God's abundance. He is so over the top, so lavish in his abundance that most of the abundance that he pours out over us, we only glimpse a fraction of, right? And, and, and this is just God in his over the topness, God in his amazing abundance over creation. And, and not only is God so amazingly abundant, he rewrites the matrix of the rules that we live in. You might know the story in the Old Testament of the prophet who stays with the widow and her son in a time of famine. And there's only a little bit of oil left in, in which to bake bread with. And she uses the last of that oil 
and then it's replenished the next day. And she, she uses it again, and it's replenished again. And every day, there is a new replenishment, right? There's a new sustenance, a new provision from God, day after day after day. And it's a reminder that our God is abundant, that, that life with God's abundance is like having a bank card that's connected to an account with inexhaustible wealth, but that wealth can never be stolen or swindled away because it's the wealth of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. So when Jesus tells us, don't worry, he, he means it. Amen. He means it. And, and the reason why he means it is because he is enough. You know, I was thinking Americans tend to reckon value or worth based on a monetary system. We think things are worth something, and, and we always equate it to money. But we know, you know this and I know this, that there are infinitely more priceless valuables than mere money. Amen. Loving relationships, joy that overflows, peace that passes understanding, purpose for living, and the list goes on and on and on. Amen. Friends, this is why that the abundance that we're talking about, the abundance of the Lord, is actually more rich than mere money. You might want to write that down. It's more rich than mere money. It, 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 there's more wealth available than mere wealth. And that is why when we talk about the people who live the most abundant lives found in the pages of Scripture, we point to the Apostle Paul, or we point to the person of Jesus. And yet these people, they were not rich as American dream would equate it. It's, it's, it's not that they had a lot of worldly possessions, not that they had a, any worldly or material wealth, but they lived this incredibly prosperous and incredibly abundant life, right, because of the abundance of the Lord. Right? So that we're talking about something that's worth more than mere money. Amen. Because, friends, when you, when you think money is the answer, when you, when you think that, that, oh, money will solve these problems, or I just need more money, that really there's a, a negative reality that we're creating. It's actually a form of idolatry. And we're putting money on the throne where only Jesus can sit. I'll tell you a story, a true story from a guy, uh, about a guy named Jack Whitaker. Jack Whitaker was a West Virginian businessman. He was actually quite successful. He was, his net worth was about $17 million at the time the story begins. So he's already successful. And then he wins the Powerball lottery, $314 million. So he's set, right? He's made it. He's got it all set. Uh, wrong. This was the beginning of a nightmare for him. Because right away, he started indulging his vices. He ended up getting addicted to strip clubs. Strip clubs that he liked to frequent were owned by organized crime in the area, so they used his addiction to swindle him out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. At the same time, his granddaughter and her boyfriend, because of all this extra wealth, they get into trouble themselves. They get addicted to drugs, and both his granddaughter and her boyfriend overdose and die. Then his 40-year-old daughter, she ends up passing away too. There's all kinds of complications and grief around this issue, and and, and he just begins to spiral. He becomes addicted to gambling. And, uh, and, and so he loses all kinds of money that way. He's victim of bank fraud 12 different times where he is swindled out of his fortune. He gets in trouble with substance himself. He, he gets in trouble with the law, gets caught uh, driving under the influence multiple times. And so he has all kinds of legal trouble there. And it just is like the hits keep on coming. 
The final episode in this, after most of his fortune is gone, he comes home one day to find his house in flames, his home and all of his worldly possessions destroyed in a fire. He concludes this. He says, I wish I would have torn up the ticket. He said, my life was infinitely more abundant before I won that money. And I, I tell all this to you to recognize that, look, money itself is not the issue, right? Money isn't where abundance lies. It's with the Lord that true abundance lies. And so that's why the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, uh, this young man in ministry, he says this, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. That's what happened to Jack Whitaker and his family, right? There was this placing money on the throne and it brought ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So friends, that's what happens when we're guilty of focusing on money or loving money, putting money on the throne where only Jesus can sit. And the Bible, by the way, never says that money is the problem or that money is the root of evil. The Bible talks about the love of money as the root of evil. It's our hearts that get, they get turned toward greed. Our, our hearts that get turned in idolatrous places where, where we end up elevating money. That's what brings ruin and destruction. No, no, money is actually kind of a neutral. And if we can just offer it back to the Lord, if we can have a right relationship with God and, and look to him for the abundance that we crave, then we can actually have a really beautiful relationship with the money that he provides for us. And so often God is a good God, a generous God. He actually wants to give us and provide for us in material ways. But we just need to get our hearts right for him. We heard from Pastor Gary, our young adult pastor, just a few moments ago. But I want to tell you a story, a true story from his life where he and his wife, Lindsay, were pregnant with their first child, their, their first boy. And they were down in California serving down there and and they had been told by their insurance company that they were going to have to pay a specific amount for, you know, the hospital, you know, the birth of their, their son. And so they had saved up this money so that they could pay what, what the insurance didn't cover. And so they're there. Lindsay's in the hospital. She's pushing all day. Nothing's really progressing. And so the doctor comes in and tells her, you know what, we're going to have to do a C-section. And, and then he leaves the room and Lindsay bursts into tears. She starts crying. And Gary says, Lindsay, why are you crying? And she says, we can't afford a C-section. We don't have money for this, you know. And he says, oh, honey, listen, don't worry about that. All that matters is you're healthy, the baby's healthy. That's what we need to focus on. And, and so they went ahead and, and, you know, God carried them through that season. But not too many months later, all of the med medical bills come, you know, piling up. And they're starting to get stressed out. How are we going to do? We didn't budget for this. We don't have the money for this. What are we going to do? And, and so stress starts to rise. And in that season, they get a phone call from one of their friends down there, and she says, why don't you and Lindsay meet me at the park? And so they go to this park. They don't know what it's about, and, and they're given these instructions. I'm going to hand you this umbrella. It's kind of all, you know, closed up. And she says, I want you to close your eyes, 
And then I'm going to count to three. I want you to open the umbrella and then open your eyes. And so Gary and Lindsay are like, okay, this is weird, but oh, we will, you know. And, and so they take the umbrella, they hold it up, they close their eyes. And, and she says, all right, open your eyes or open the umbrella and your eyes. So they open the umbrella and there are $100 bills hanging from the umbrella. And, and, and then they look down on the picnic table that they're by and on, there's a check there for thousands more. And a bunch of friends had, had heard about this situation and they had all chipped in and gathered together. And what was so beautiful about this experience is there, there, was, there was enough to cover all the medical bills, just a little bit of surplus left over. And they had their beautiful baby boy and God gets all of the credit for providing for the needs of his children. Is that right? It's absolutely true. See, God loves to do this. God loves to be generous and to provide for the needs of his children. And so often, God will do that by stirring his other children uh, to, to be willing to give and to be generous. Look what it says here. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 7. He says this. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Well, if it's a joke, yeah, you do. But, but... No, he says, no, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Amen. Friends, those of you who know me, know, know my story, I, I, I really do. I want to be a loving father. I want to be a good father. That's definitely how I want to reckon my identity and how I want my kids to think about our family structure. So it's definitely a priority. And I want to give good gifts to my kids. I want to provide well for them and challenge them well and set them up to win in life. Like all these things are a part of how I want to reckon my relationship with them. And, and Jesus is saying, Mike, look, 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 you, if you want to give good gifts to your kids and you've got all kinds of, you know, you're messy and there's all kinds of stuff you're still working on. But if you have figured out how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly father how much more that the God of all abundance, of all the resources and all the universe, wants to give good gifts to his children, to you. Okay, so that's a reminder that when we step into this abundance mentality, this abundance frame of mind with Jesus, we find he is enough. And this prompts us to the next villain. It prompts us to practice gratitude toward God. Practice gratitude toward God. And, and the word practice is intentional here because it is a practice. It's something that we embrace. We need to build it into our lives as a practice. In the morning, we practice gratitude. In the evening, we practice gratitude. Throughout the day, we practice being grateful to a God who has provided so much for us. And I would begin by encouraging you, practice being grateful for the gospel of grace being grateful and thankful for his love and his mercy poured out on us day after day after day. His mercies that are new every morning. Thankful for his presence, for God's abundance showing up in our lives as he provides for us. And you know, it's, it's, it's wintertime now. And so I, I hope that you have this experience of being grateful on cold winter nights, you know. On the couch, I'm so thankful for this warm blanket. I'm so thankful for these fluffy socks. I'm so thankful for a, a, a warm fire. I'm so thankful for this hot cup of tea. I'm so thankful to be snuggled up next to my loved one, right? All of these experiences we have, I hope you're being grateful for them. Amen. You know, last Monday, 
the sun came out. I don't know if you noticed that, but it was, it was a beautiful, you know, window. And, and it came out just long enough to dry up all the pavement. And, and that might not mean much in your world, but in my world, uh, I, I, I texted all my kids. I said, hey, the sun's out, the pavement's dry. It's time for us to go ripsticking together. Now, you don't know what ripsticking is. It's, it's, it's a form of skateboarding, but it's way better. It's, it's literally surfing for the landlocked. It's like snowboarding for the flatlander. It, it, it's just this beautiful, honestly, in heaven, you'll all do it all the time. It's just, it's wonderful. And, and so I texted my kids, hey, let's go to Perigo Park. And so, so my daughter, Alex, and, and my son, Doozy, come and, and, and we meet at the park and and we spent an hour, hour and a half just ripsticking around this park. And it, it just was so beautiful to spend that time with my kids. Then later, you know, I, uh, it's like nighttime, it's just before bed, we're all under this huge blanket on the couch <clears throat> watching the Olympics. And, you know, I just went to bed that night saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, and I hope you understand that this kind of connection, this kind of loving relationship, this this kind of, it's, 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 a, it's a depth, right? It's a, it's a richness. It's so much more valuable than just money itself. And so it's easy for me to go to bed that night saying, thank you, Jesus. And when we live with that kind of gratitude, that, that kind of recognition of the abundance of God, it's easy to step into the gratitude of saying, okay, and thank you for how you provide. Thank you for the way that you've provided food and the way that you've provided shelter and the way that you've provided clothing. And, and thank you for, for all of the material possessions, you know, transportation, if that's a, a thing for you, or, or you know, employment, or just all of the stuff that God has provided. You know, the scripture says this, and I think it's incredibly challenging, but I also think it's a, a beautiful invitation. It says, be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And what would it look like to really take this to heart, that, that we would actually be thankful in all circumstances? So again, we're talking a little bit about our financial framework, and if I could just be vulnerable for you with you for a moment, I'll tell you that this next year, there's a little bit of financial uncertainty in my world, and the reason is because my daughter's graduating high school, she's going off to college. And I don't know if you've done any of the research lately, but college, it's not a, like a small price tag thing. And, and the, you know, it's room and board and tuition and books and all this stuff. It's like everything. How much is it? It's like $10 million. What? You know, it's like crazy stuff. And, and so, you know, I, there's just this uncertainty. And, and then the challenge of this first, though, if I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, give thanks in all circumstances. So how can I shift my framework to be thankful even in the midst of this uncertainty, well, how about being thankful that my daughter's graduating high school? Be thankful that she loves learning and that she wants to pursue education and that she has this drive and this excitement and this zeal for it. And, and be thankful that, that God has always provided for her needs educationally and he will continue to do so. Even though I can't see the way ahead, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, right, there's this incredible amount of, of gratitude that can well up if I just shift my perspective a little bit. 
For some of you, you might be looking at like home repairs. You might be thinking, oh, I got all this stuff I got to do around my house. I got to fix this and make this better. I got to make this functional. And you don't know how you're going to do it. And how can you just shift a little bit? Oh, why don't I just start with gratitude? Thank you for a home to live in. Thank you that this keeps the rain off and keeps us warm and that this is a place where my family's building memories. And, and you just start to get in this place of gratitude as your first response. Some of you, you're thinking about the financial stress you're feeling right now and you don't know how to deal with that. And, and you're thinking, oh, I just, I, I, I don't, don't even know. Like there's all this anxiety around my finances, but what if you just shift a little bit and you just get to the place where, you know, Jesus, I wanna thank you for how you have always provided for me. Amen. I want to thank you that you have, every meal I've ever eaten came from your hand. Amen. Every breath I've ever taken, this was your air I breathe. The, the fact that you give me on loan a vehicle to drive around my whole life called my body. And I just want to be thankful for that. And you just start by going to these building blocks of gratitude. And you'll see some amazing things. Like there's an empowerment that comes by starting to practice gratitude. Uh, there's a secret about gratitude. And I want, to, I want to tell you this. This is the way that God has made you. So we're going to kind of open up your brain a little bit. We're going to look into how God has made you. There, there's a little thing that's released, a, a chemical that's released in your brain. It's called dopamine. It's a feel-good chemical. And, and God has made us like this as humans so that when we experience good things in our life, we, experience, we have this dopamine. It's released and it's, it's, it's wonderful. So eating a good meal, right, that, that releases a little dopamine. Um, having a night with your friends where you're laughing and enjoying one another, dopamine. They, you, you have a really, you know, a loving moment with your, with your spouse. There's, a, there's affection, there's connection. You get dopamine. They, they, there's all these beautiful things that happen. That's wonderful. This is just the way that God has made us, okay? And I love it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. But what's interesting is this. We can manufacture dopamine moments in our life. And, I, and I'll prove this to you. We're going to do an exercise. So I need everybody to look up here right now. I need everyone's eyes on me real quick. Okay. So when I count to three, every single one of us is going to smile as big as we can. Okay. We're just going to smile. We're going to show teeth, every single one of us on the count of three. All right. Let's go. One, two, three. Oh, you have a good smile. That's good. Good job. I got a couple of haters in the back, but that's all right. <laughs> all right, keep smiling. Keep smiling real big. Now look around at the other goofballs around you. <laughs> okay, well done. I just gave you some dopamine. You're welcome. You're welcome. You can, you can do this. There's a way in which you can change your approach in your thinking, your approach uh, in terms of your behavior, and you actually have the power to create a little feel-good moment in your life. Here's what's so powerful about this to me. When you pause and sit in gratitude for that good meal that you had or for that evening with friends that you enjoyed or for that affection with your spouse that you shared, when you sit in gratitude and think about those experiences, guess what your brain does? It releases the same amount of dopamine and you enjoy the experience all over again. 
Is that beautiful? This is the way God has made you. This is not some like woo-hoo psychiatry stuff. This is God's, this is how he knit you together. And so basically, when the scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances, what God is really saying is, I am giving you an invitation to enjoy your life twice as much. The first time when you experience it and the second time when you give thanks for it. Are you, I mean, this is such a beautiful picture of abundance, right? That God says, I want you to have a deeper enjoyment, a deeper satisfaction. I want you to have a richer experience of your life. How? By being grateful for all those good experiences, all those good provisions, everything good that God has poured out over you. Amen. Here's the, I'm just going to say the final great thing about being grateful. It's proven that you, when you experience thanks to someone, your heart is drawn toward them. So when you say to your spouse, I want to thank you for all that you bring to our family. I want to thank you for how you invest in our marriage. I want to thank you for your patience and your grace with me. When, when you express gratitude to your spouse, guess what your heart does? It's drawn closer and closer to your spouse. When you say thanks to your parents for all the opportunities they've provided for you, all the ways that they've tried to set you up to win, when you express that gratitude towards them, guess what? That relationship gets stronger. Same thing with your children. If you express gratitude, hey, I really want to thank you for how you're charging your life. I want to thank you for how you're responding to my coaching, how you're being obedient when I ask you to do these things. You know, when you express gratitude towards them, that relationship gets stronger. So what happens in your relationship with God when you practice gratitude towards God? Right? You're knit to him. That's how you draw near to God. The scripture says you draw near to God. He draws near to you. There's this beautiful intimacy that comes when we practice gratitude to the Lord. Okay, so abundance and gratitude. Here's what I want you to see. See it as a building block. Here's abundance, the abundance of the Lord that we can step into. Here's a life that's lived in gratitude. They're inextricably intertwined. They are absolutely connected in this theology of enough. Abundance, gratitude, and it leads to this next challenge, and that's the challenge to live generously. Live generously. You, you can't live generously unless you're aware of the abundance and you practice the gratitude. But once you're aware of the abundance and practice gratitude, living generously naturally flows from those places. And this is what God invites us to do. It's a, it's a relational component. It's the particip participatory nature of the theology of enough is that we would live generously as the children of God because God is so generous with us. Now, Paul continues as he's coaching Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. I'd love for you to circle the word unreliable. And the reason why is this. We don't think money is unreliable. We think it's trustworthy. We think we can count on it, but it's not. It's unreliable. It fluctuates incredibly. Uh, for those of you who had an eye on the stock market this last week or so, two weeks, right? There's an incredible amount of volatility in terms of money. It's, it's just, it's not steadfast, right? It's, it's erratic. It's, it's, it's not forever. It's fleeting. We know that there are all kinds of fluctuations in, in money. So Paul's saying, look, don't trust in money. It's not reliable to place your trust in. 
But then he goes on, he says this, their trust should be in God. Contrast that to money. God is not unreliable. God's completely reliable. God does not fluctuate. God's completely steadfast. God's not here today and gone tomorrow. God's always with us, never leaving us, forsaking us, or abandoning us. So he says, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Man, look at that. Just see the truth that comes out of this passage. It says, God is the one who gives. It says, he gives, he provides for our needs. He gives us all we need. So all our needs are met in the Lord. Then the next truth, he wants us to enjoy his gifts. He wants us to enjoy what it is that he provides and gives to us. And lastly, we are to trust that he is the one who provides. He keeps going. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous toward those in need, always being ready to share with others. Overlake, my thought on this is this is exactly who you are. I am, I am so honored as a pastor to be a part of this journey with you because Overlake, you are an incredibly generous church. I've been here for 14 years, and it's been amazing to see that God has actually grown us in generosity. He's grown the amount of good works that come through this church family. It's an amazing thing to see this process at work in our church family. So I love this. I love this. And we're growing together in this. And then lastly, in verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Could you circle that phrase? True life? Because in so many ways, this is the invitation of Jesus to us again and again and again. It's true life. It's life which is fully life. Uh, Jesus in John 10.10, abundant life. The the fullness of life, right? Um, Life and life to the full. Freedom, right? A life that is free. There's all of this bound together in the invitation of God when we live out of this generous position, when we truly get our arms around this idea that God is abundant, that we can be grateful, we can live generous lives as his children. Now, I will tell you this. Giving is a little bit like a muscle. It's a little bit like a muscle in terms of when we work it out, we get stronger at it. When we work out our generosity, we get bigger, you know, and, and that's what would happen if you went to the gym and you started working out. And, and, and maybe there are some of you here today, and I know it's true because I, I talk to folks at Overlake all the time, and I know that there's often these conversations that come up. I, I want to I live generous. I want to be generous toward God. I just don't know. I, I just don't know how to make that work. I just don't know how to, you know, figure that out. And, and so if that's you, I just want to say what I would say to anybody who's starting a new venture. Let's say uh, you, you, you want to get, you know, start working out. You want to get in the gym. Let me, I, I'd say the same thing to the person who's going to the gym as the person who's not yet be, been generous. I'd say this. Look, just go, right? Just start. That's what I'd say. Because when is the best time to go to the gym? 20 years ago. That's the best time to go to the gym Start 20 years ago. When's the second best time to start going to the gym? Right now. 
right? The best time to start 20 years ago, the second best time right now. And so I just say, just start, just make it a practice, just start where you can, do what you can, you know. I, there'd be some, some small coaching around it, but it's really like, like just jump in. And that's exactly what I would say to those of you who haven't yet started to, to give, you're not generous to the Lord, you're, you don't know what that looks like. I just jump, jump in, just put your toe in, get started, go for it, because you'll see that as you practice it, you will grow in it. Here's what Churchill says. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. A living by what we get, but a life by what we give. You know, Jesus, of course, says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, we could have many of you give a testimony on this point that maybe you started investing in a stock at one point in your life you started putting your money into a, the stock of a certain company. And it's an amazing thing that when you start to invest your money in that company, now you're suddenly very interested in how that company is doing. You, you care about the choices that company is making, and you care about the investment they're making in research and development, and, and you're really interested in the inner workings of that company and the leadership of that company. Why? It's because your treasure has been put there, so your heart is there as well. And what Jesus is saying is that's why it's so beautiful when you put your treasure into God's kingdom, when you put your treasure into the mission of God through the church of God, when you, when you put your treasure into kingdom causes, then that's where your heart is as well. And it's possible for us to invest our treasure into things that are eternal, to invest our treasure into a, a, a situation that has eternal uh, benefits. And so that's the challenge. And, and I do want to say God sees everything. He sees every cup of cold water offered in his name. He sees every time that we, that we want to make a difference for good, every time we invest in making things better, every time we, you know, try to give to relief after a natural disaster, every time we invest in missionaries overseas or some beautiful kingdom cause, he sees it. And his promise is it's not in vain. It's never in vain. He sees it all, and he counts it all. It's precious to him. Amen. So you got abundance here. you got gratitude. you got generosity. They all work together. They're all interconnected. But I do know this. I, I know because it came up last week. I know because I've had conversations with guys this week that for some of you, you're like, Mike, this sounds great. I absolutely love it. The problem is I feel so pinched right now financially. I feel like I've got the creditors here, I got bills to pay here, I got projects I'm working here, I got needs for my family here, and I just don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation I'm in. I don't know the way forward. And if that's where you are, I just want to close with this incredible hope that you are not alone in this. That you're not alone. I want you to remember in the book of Exodus, I want you to remember when the Israelites were being led by God out of Egypt. And Moses had gone to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go, and Pharaoh had resisted. There was this whole beautiful, wonderful way that God interacted through that scenario. Finally, Pharaoh says, okay, fine, take the Israelites, get out of Egypt, you know, and, and so Moses begins to lead the people out, but then if you'll remember, Pharaoh changes his mind, and so he calls his army together. He sends all the chariots out. He says, go, bring them back. So the Israelites, they had left Egypt. They're unaware that there is an army chasing them. 
they finally do become aware that there are chariots and, and the whole army of Egypt is on their, on their tail. They become aware of it right when they get to the shore of the Red Sea without a single boat. And so they've got spears on one side, drowning on the other side. Some of you are like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel financially right now. What did God do then? See, where they had no hope, where they thought there was no way forward, God was enough for them. The psalmist in Psalm 77 praises God with these words. It says, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You see, God provided a way through. God provided a way forward. God provided a way out. And the reason is because God is enough. He is enough already. So friends, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to step into the abundance that our Heavenly Father has. I want you to, to challenge you to step into the practice of gratitude toward our Heavenly Father. And I want you to step into the generosity that is modeled by our Heavenly Father over us. And as we do, I, I want you to remember that you're not alone, but that God is enough for you. Amen? Amen. Okay, why don't you stand up with me right now? And we're going to praise this God who is enough, the God of abundance, the God that we want to give our gratitude and our praise toward. And yet I want to begin by praying together. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And Jesus, what we do declare is that you're enough for us. We declare that the gospel of grace is enough and that you have been a provider, that we trust you will continue to be a provider and for all these things, when it comes to our stewardship, when it comes to our generosity, when it comes to our stress around our financial situation, we declare the truth of Scripture that you are enough for us. We want to step into the full measure of abundance that the Apostle Paul stepped into, that, that Jesus, you stepped into. And, and so we just ask that you would show us how to do that. Show us how we can begin this journey with you, this journey of, of changing our mentality so that we begin with this understanding of your abundance, so that we begin with a practice of gratitude, so that generosity is never something that we are unwilling to participate in, but Lord, because we are generous recipients of your love and grace and provision, we are generous as well. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.